Be Christ's church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke podcast. Today, our lead pastor, Daniel Palmer, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. It's Easter, it's Resurrection Sunday, and it is the day that we contemplate the significance of the resurrection of King Jesus. He's alive, he's ruling and reigning in righteousness right now, and so we're going to step outside of our series in the book of Acts and into the Gospel of John. So good morning to you and welcome to this resurrection celebration at North Roanoke. If you've got a Bible, a copy of God's Word, if you don't, if you've got a a phone with an app on it, however you can find your way to John's Gospel, chapter 20, that's where we'll be camping out today. If you don't know how to find the book of John, um, just use your table of contents, no shame in that, but the Bible uh, is one book with two major divisions. Uh, The first division we call the Old Testament, and it's Here's the message of the Old Testament. You're sinful. You need a Savior to follow and to worship forever, and He's coming. Here's the message of the New Testament. He came. <laughs> Everything he, the Old Testament said He was going to be and do, He did it. And if you'll trust in Him... You can be with him forever. You can fulfill your purpose in life. And he's going to come again. He's going to judge. And those who trust in him will be with him forevermore in a new heavens and a new earth where there's not pain and suffering and sadness and sorrow and all the things that we battle in this present life, especially death, which he he has conquered. So as you find your way to, to John's gospel, chapter 20, In the New Testament, I want to say a few things that it just feels appropriate to say on Easter Sunday. First, to my church family, I just want you to know, it's it's special to be locked arm in arm with you, serving King Jesus. The one who conquered the grave, makes us his own, and is going to return again in victory. And I've, I've tried to see many of you this morning. I'm sure there's many that I have not, but thank you. It's good to be on the same team. Um... To our guests, I want you to know we're thankful that you're here today. I I know many of you are are believers and you're here from out of state or out of town visiting with family members who are believers. It's it's good to have this fellowship in the spirit. But there are some of you who are here today because a a friend invited you and you're like, you know, I really wasn't going to go to church on Easter, but somebody sort of said, hey, it's going to be okay. And this guy's going to talk about Jesus and you'll survive in advance. You'll, You'll get to another day and it'll be okay. Um, I'm glad you're here too. I'm glad you're here even if you don't know Jesus yet. I'm glad you're here because God wrote a book about our condition and about what he's done to fix it through Jesus. And maybe you're here today because you need to hear that Jesus Christ conquered the grave and that he saves people who trust in him. So wherever you find yourself, I I want you to know that the resurrection of Jesus is real And that you can experience God's love because Christ has come. I I want you to have true life and peace with God. 
And we know that you can have these things because, well, Jesus says so in John chapter 20. Beginning in verse 19, would you hear with me the word of the Lord? On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then his disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Would you bow with me? God, help us in the brief moments to come to lean into this text. Spirit of God, meet us in the hearing of your word shape us, make us look and look more like Jesus as a result of having been here today. And God, for those who don't know you, maybe today, God, maybe today you would open the eyes and the ears of people who need to see Christ and to hear from Christ. And maybe today you would change sinners into saints. Maybe you would grant salvation to some. God, we pray that you would move among us and do your will for the glory of Christ. And in his name we ask it, amen. As we consider John chapter 20, just these three verses, it's helpful to remember that God has been preparing us for this moment when the crucified Jesus walks into the room with his disciples alive. It's, it's Sunday evening, and by Sunday evening, the absence of Jesus' body from the tomb and the hope of the resurrection has been suggested to us in several ways by women who had seen him buried in the tomb, but they went back and he wasn't there. It's been suggested by the women who encountered the risen Jesus as they departed the tomb, by the angels who testified to the women that Jesus had been raised. And it's been suggested by Peter and John, who upon hearing that Jesus' body wasn't in the tomb, they run to the tomb. This account is earlier in chapter, chapter 20 of John's gospel. They, they run into the tomb, and what do they find? They find the burial cloths laying there just like they had been on top of the body, but no body, and then the the linen that covered the face folded up as though somebody had folded up that little linen and said, death doesn't win, and set it down and walked out, of the, walked out of that tomb. So we've had all these evidences that something's going on, and then at the end of here of chapter 20, or John chapter 20, verse 19 through 21, Jesus walks into the room where his disciples are gathered How did that happen? How did the one that they know that they saw slaughtered on a Roman cross as though he were a criminal, how did he walk into the room? Well, Romans chapter 8 verses 11 tells us the Spirit of God gloriously raised the Son of God from the dead. And the proof is he walks into the room where his disciples are gathered and they're fearful. Why are they fearful? They're fearful of the Jews who just killed the person they've been following for three years. And if they killed Jesus, what might they do to them? But fear soon flees. Why does it flee? Because Jesus proves he really is the resurrection and the life and he walks into that room. He proves that he came down to take the place of sinners and to overcome the death that our sin deserves and bring us to God. The resurrection means that Jesus is truly God's son. 
He is God's anointed king. He is the only savior for the world, and he will return to judge the living and the dead on the basis of what we do with him. We're all going to be judged. He, he wasn't raised for no consequence. He was raised to deal with sin, and sin that's not dealt with through faith in Jesus will be judged when he returns. And, and that might seem scary, but it doesn't have to be scary. And here's why it doesn't have to be scary. Because the resurrection of Jesus, the bodily, the physical resurrection of Jesus from the dead, means that you can have true peace with God. It means that your sin can be taken off of you and placed on Christ and cast as far as east is from west so that you can have a real relationship with God that you can know and worship and glorify Him. In verse 19, we learn the disciples are behind locked doors because of this fear of the Jews. And if they were not already frightened enough, then Jesus comes on strolling on through the locked doors. I don't know about you, but like, I thought you were dead, and the doors were locked, and here you are. What's going on? Carson says this, the locked doors stress the miraculous nature of Jesus' appearance. As his resurrection body passed through those grave cloths, so now it passes through locked doors and simply materializes. Gangle adds this, that it serves as a reminder, listen to this, that nothing can stop or hinder the resurrection body of Jesus. That's good news. Jesus is in this room. He's seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavens, but by way of the Holy Spirit, He is present here today. And perhaps you've been hiding behind some locked doors when you walked into those doors this morning. Maybe you've been putting up walls of pride or jealousy or anger. Maybe something horrific happened in your past or in your life and you say, well, if this happened, then, then maybe God isn't real. Maybe God doesn't exist. I don't know what you brought into this room today, what locked doors you brought into this room today, but I've been praying all week that the resurrected Christ in the hearing of God's word would plow right through their, those doors into your heart and change you forevermore. Jesus can walk through any door. And when he gets through that door, whatever it is that is your hang-up, whatever it is that you're holding on to and saying, I know that it might be true, it seems like it must be true, because why would 11 men give their lives for a lie that they knew to be a lie? It doesn't make any sense. How do you account for this transformation, the birth of the church, the gospel going forward and dozens of languages like that. It's, it's true. It's because Jesus has risen from the dead, but some of you are hanging on to a locked door, and I pray that Jesus would plow through the door today. Because when King Jesus walks through the locked doors of your life, he brings peace. There's people in this room today that desperately need peace. Sin destroys the peace that God made you to have in life. Adam and Eve were at peace in the garden, right? Adam looked in the mirror before there was sin, looked in that brook, and he saw his reflection. He was like, that's not bad. Eve did the same. She was like, that's pretty good. They looked at one another. They had great relationships with one another. They, they had marital harmony. 
and marital bliss. And all of this was true because they had a great relationship with God. And then they sinned. They chose rebellion. They chose their own way. They chose to eat the fruit that God forbid and everything else was messed up in the process. And the only way to reverse that process is to get sin out of the way. The beginning of peace is not to paper tiger over everything else that's a problem in your life. It's to get at the root of the problem, which is that sin separates you from a holy God. And until you get that right, nothing else is going to be right. Jesus came to restore peace. He came to give the soul-satisfying peace of knowing and belonging to God by taking sin out of the way. And his resurrection proves that he can. It's the proof that his death was not just the death of a man in Rome, but it was the death of one who came to die for sin. And he was risen on the third day to prove that he is God, restoring the connection between God and man. Now, the connection between Jesus and peace is an interesting one, right? In Matthew 10, 34, Jesus said he didn't come to bring peace to the earth, but a sword. But in Luke 2, 14, the heavenly host that announces the birth of Jesus does so with these words, on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So which is it? Does, does Jesus give peace or does Jesus not give peace? Here's the answer. He gives, he gives peace with God to those who trust in him. And that peace will place you at odds with the world, but on solid footing with God. Peace with God will lead you to be at odds with the world that is against God. It will lead you to go to war against your own sin. For now, the peace that Jesus gives is not an absence of conflict in our lives, but it's a wholeness or a completeness on the inside that comes from being in God's presence, which is only possible through Jesus, who can forgive your sins and bring you into a relationship with the Holy God. Now, one day, there will be peace on earth. When King Jesus comes again and he vanquishes his enemies and he raises up to life everlasting those who are believers in him, there will be peace on earth. Every tear will be wiped away. No more cancer, no more disease, no more depression, no more dying. People desperately need the peace that Jesus gives. In a world of death and disease, in a world where the news is often unreliable, in a world where our constant contact with others through our cell phones often distracts us from our greater need for constant contact with the creator of the universe, we need peace. Jesus says, peace to you. But we have a problem this morning far greater than the world's distractions, and the problem is us. Outside of faith in Christ, we are rebels against the God that we were made to worship. For all the things that we've said and done and thought that displease God, we deserve everlasting death, Romans 6.23 says. Sin, since sin entered humanity through Adam, we have been at war with the holy God that we were created to know and to love and to worship and to enjoy. And when you are at war with God, no other peace will satisfy your soul. When you're at war with God, the only thing that will satisfy, the only thing that will change you, the only thing that will bring you what you need in life is peace with God. So when the risen Lord Jesus walks through the door and says, peace to you, I pray even this morning, that's some good news. Because when Jesus walks through the doors of your heart and speaks peace to you, he can do it because he's accomplished what was necessary to make peace with God. He didn't 
end our war with God by ignoring it. He ended our war with God by dying for our sinful rebellion, by taking the blows of God's wrath upon himself so that we didn't have to endure them. It's no accident that Jesus' resurrection, do you see it in verse 19, it's on the first day of the week. Now, why in the world do we need that detail? Well, the Old Testament tells us that he's going to be raised on the third day. He was crucified on Friday and Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday morning, he's raised from the dead. So it's a fulfillment of the promise of the Old Testament, but it's also a fulfillment of this greater idea that God's going to make things new through his son. You remember the first week of creation back in Genesis? Seven days. And in day seven, God's welcoming Adam and Eve into his eternal rest, and they mess it up, they sin. So we need a do-over. We need somebody to come and, and start this whole thing over. And guess what happens on the first day of the week? God is starting through his son a whole new creation. A whole new seven days, if you will, that's going to culminate in Christ's return. New creation in Christ has already started. And one day he's going to complete his return and we're going to see streets of gold and we're going to be with our king forever. But from this day to that day, sinners who trust in Jesus get to take a step out of the old life and the old creation and into the new creation work that he started on the first day when he was first day of the week when he was raised from the death. This peace, you can't earn it, you can't deserve it, you can't acquire it, but you can receive it as an undeserved gift through faith in Jesus Christ. It's what Paul says in Romans chapter 4 when he says, Faith will be counted as righteousness to us who believe in him who was raised from the dead, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our sins, our trespasses, and raised for our justification. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you hear that? Jesus was delivered up to the death of a cross for our trespasses and raised for our justification. You say, that's a bunch of fancy Bible words. Justification means to be innocent or declared innocent or free from condemnation. Though we were guilty... God looks at the sacrifice of Jesus and clears your penalty so that you can be accepted. Justification by God and before God is the only way to have peace with God. God is perfectly holy and righteous, and as the offended party, He's the only one who can remove the offense. The only way we can stand before God is to receive a standing that comes through Jesus, who is qualified as God to give us everything that God requires. Despite all the ways that you've rejected God and rebelled against God and kicked against God and taken God's name in vain, if you will turn from your sin today and believe on the risen Jesus, He will clear your penalty. He'll take away the charges that stand against you and you will have peace with God. The resurrection of Jesus proves He's qualified to die for sins and to give us the righteousness of God. The resurrection proves Jesus' payment for sin has been accepted in full. It proves that those who trust in Jesus do not need to fear death, for it has been overcome by their death-conquering king. So here's a question. Do you have peace with God? 
that comes, amen, <laughs> that comes through faith in Jesus. If you don't have peace with God today, you, you know. Is His blood your defense and your resurrection your hope? If it's not, Jesus says to you this today from John 6, 40, everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. Because Christ is risen from the dead, you can have peace with God. And secondly, you can have joy. Look at verse 20. Jesus' bodily resurrection means that we can have joy. Over in Luke's gospel, he tells a similar account. We learn that Jesus' entrance into this room where there's locked doors, that it startles the disciples. And doubts begin to arise in their hearts. Maybe we're not seeing someone who's human. Maybe we're not seeing someone who is really there. Maybe we're imagining something. And Jesus dispels their doubts by displaying the nail marks in his hands and the scar from the spear to his side. Why does he do this? He does this because they had to grasp that the same Jesus who died is the same Jesus who lived and stood before them. This is not some uh, switcheroo, some body double. It's really Jesus. When he shows them his side, he's proving that it's not just some guy that was crucified and some guy who was raised, but it's the same living Lord Jesus. How do we know this? Because when you crucified people, you didn't typically spear their side. But we read in John 19, when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out, proving that he had died. And when, they showed, when he showed the spear-pierced spear side to the disciples, they had to know that it was Jesus. We're not saved by a mere spirit. We're not saved by a mist or a hallucination or someone who blacked out for a little while and then came to later. We are saved by God who came down, wrapped himself in our humanity, lived in our place, died in our place, dying for sins and conquering the death that our sin deserved. As, Car as Carson says, Jesus' wounds are his credentials to the suffering race of human beings. There's nothing you face that he hasn't faced for you. And he did it perfectly. He did it without sin. When disciples, when the disciples realize that it's really Jesus standing before them, what happens? Look at verse 20. This might be the understatement of the year. They were glad when they saw the Lord. <laughs> Amen. They were overjoyed. The, the Old Testament had promised them a real human Messiah. They thought that it was Jesus. They followed him, and he had died. And for two what must have seemed really long nights, it seemed like God's promises had died with Jesus. But the wait really was over, because suddenly on that Sunday evening, Jesus walks in and says, I'm here. And he had just told them in John 16, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy, listen to this, no one will take from you. Some of you need that kind of joy today, the joy that no one can steal from you because it's not contingent on your circumstances. It's secured by the risen Lord Jesus. 
The living, resurrected Jesus pays for our sin by dying, and he secures our unending joy through his resurrection, proving that death is conquered once for all, securing our access to God, and assuring us of life everlasting in resurrected bodies with him. Can you imagine the joy of the disciples in that moment that they realized that Jesus conquered death? That same sort of joy is available in this room today. Peter, one of the disciples who was in that room when Jesus broke through those locked doors, later writes in 2 Peter 1, verse 19, that we have something more reliable than seeing the risen Jesus with our own eyes. We have the witness of the Scriptures. We have the Old Testament. We have the New Testament. We have the Spirit-breathed witness of the disciples who encountered the risen Jesus and suddenly had their grief and sorrow and doubts turned to joy. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter says to believers, listen to this, who had never physically seen Jesus because Jesus has gone to the Father. He says, though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you don't now see Him, you believe in Him. And you rejoice with, get this, with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. When Peter writes these words, he is writing to persecuted Christians. Joy does not mean that your life will be easy. Joy in Christ does not mean you will never have trouble at work or in marriage or in parenting or plain old adulting. Anybody need a vacation from adulting? It does not mean that everything is going to go as you had planned or as you had liked. What it means is that God kept His promise and He will always honor the sacrifice of His Son. That God made a way to forgive and accept sinners without sacrificing His character as a perfect and holy God. He really did send His Son. He really did conquer the grave. And no matter what life throws at you, you can look in the mirror every day and know that you belong to God through what Jesus did. And if you can know that, you know that one day you'll be with your resurrected King forever. And through the mess, He's with you every step of the way. No other religion makes the claim that their founder conquered death. None of them. Alex Powell said this week, of the four major religions built on people, only Christianity claims its founder is alive, having overcome death through a resurrection. No Jew ever believed after Abraham died and was interred that his tomb ever became empty. After Buddha died, no disciple claimed that he or she saw or ever spoke to him again. As for Muhammad and his teachings that are the basis of Islam, there is no trace of this founder appearing to his disciples or followers after he dies at the age of 61. But church, I'm here to tell you, King Jesus isn't dead. Muhammad's dead. Gandhi's dead. Abraham's dead. Jesus is alive. And that truth brings great joy. It brings great joy for so many reasons. We can know and love and follow and enjoy God. And and by the way, it brings joy to my heart because it just plain makes sense. This world does not make sense without Jesus. You go try any other religion, any other philosophy, and it doesn't add up and it leaves you lost and undone. You're lost in a sea of, of purposeless existence. 
C.S. Lewis once said this, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun is risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. The brokenness of the world makes sense when you, when you see what God has done, that he created a world good, but we sinned and messed it up, and that he has made a way back to a good world where we can worship and know and enjoy him. Nothing else makes sense out of what we see. And when you start to see clearly, you find joy. But so many miss out on the joy of seeing clearly because they refuse to receive and believe in a resurrected Christ. Why is that? Why do so many people deny the plain truth in front of their faces that Christ conquered the grave? I think it's many reasons. One of them is accountability. We don't want to own up to the fact that we're sinners. That we really were that bad off. That our sin really is that great of offense against a holy God. That only God could reverse what we had done to God. That it cost his son his life to bring us back. Until you see yourself in that way, you'll never be saved. I love what McLaren says to those who try to have Christianity without a resurrected Jesus. Sadly, across uh, this country today, there are churches with sermons where the resurrection is reduced to a metaphor or an analogy. They deny the reality of the risen Christ. You don't have a risen Christ, you don't have hope. You don't have purpose, you don't have life, you don't have anything. McLaren says this, Every theory of Christianity which boggles at accepting the resurrection as a plain fact is shattered to pieces on the sharp-pointed rock of this one demand. Very well, if it's not a fact, account for the existence of the church. Where did the church come from? How did it spring up out of nowhere? Account for the change of the characters of its members. You may wriggle as you like, but you will never get a reasonable theory of these two undeniable facts until you believe that Jesus rose from the dead. In his right hand, he carried peace, and in his left, he carried joy. And that's why the church emerged from seemingly nothing and it spread like wildfire because these 11 men saw a really risen King Jesus and they told everyone they could even at the cost of their own lives. Jesus Christ conquered the grave, church, and if you don't know him, today's the day to find him. Today's the day to believe on him and to stop calling on your name and your past and what you can do to fix your problem and go to the only one who can take your sin and bring you to God and give you joy. Today's the day of salvation. And many of you in this room believe that's true. And I praise God for that. So I want to close by speaking to those of us who have saving faith in Christ. And I want to show you from verse 21 that Jesus' bodily resurrection from the dead means you can have a purpose. Those of you who already know Christ, you know this is true. Those of you that don't, I want you to know that you can move from a purposeless existence, seemingly so, into a real purpose the moment you believe in Christ. Look at verse 21. Jesus says, again, peace with you. The peace that Jesus gives, church, is not something that we're to sit on and just wait till we die or Jesus comes back. 
We have a reason for which he has left us here, and it is to share the message of peace with God that comes through the cross of Christ. The peace with God that comes through the mission of Jesus should be compelling us to be on mission to others in a way that is like Jesus' mission to us. That's the meaning of Jesus' words. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. If you have peace with God through faith in Jesus, you have a purpose, which is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And one of the primary ways you do that until you're with Jesus face to face is to tell everybody else about Jesus. If you have peace with God, your life is a life of being sent out like Jesus was sent out. Do you see that? As I was sent, Jesus says, I now send you. And that raises a question for us. How was Jesus sent? We've already sang it this morning. He was sent from the glory of heaven to a cradle in the dirt. From the highest of highs to the lowest of lows, he came down to rescue a world in rebellion against him. He lived in complete dependence of in the Father, com- complete dependence upon the Father in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. If you have peace with God and assurance of life everlasting in Him, church, you have a purpose. Carson says this, now that Jesus' disciples no longer belong to the world, they must also be sent back into the world to bear witness. So dear Christian, The resurrection means Jesus has saved you in order to send you. And like these disciples, if we continue to read in verse 22 and 23, they have the the message of forgiveness of sins. And they're empowered to declare that anybody who hears the gospel and believes on Jesus, those people are forgiven of sins through faith in Christ alone. So church, if you have the Spirit of God filling you, He is leading you out to live in holiness, and to share the gospel with every last breath you've got. To proclaim that message, church, we've got to be willing to do what our Savior did. We've got to be willing to step into others' lives. We've got to be willing to take a pause on our hurried schedules and get to know people. We've got to be willing to know sinners so that sinners can hear the message of the gospel. Jesus ate and drank with sinners, but he did not sin with them. Do you know sinners? Surely you do if you know yourself. (laughs) But do you know any sinners who need a Savior? Who is it that God would have you to get involved in their lives? We, We need to seize the opportunities that Christ will give us to share the gospel in Jesus' name. And we need to pray. Listen, church, we need to pray for the lost recognizing what is at stake. Who's on your prayer list that that if they were to take their last breath today would die separated from the love of God? Step into their reality and pray for them with long-suffering, with a burdened heart that, that somehow God would move heaven and earth and it would open the door for somehow for them to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and to, to come to know Him. Some of you have parents who are far from God and they're, they're not getting any younger and it's time for you to share the gospel with them. 
Some of you have brothers and sisters and your relationship is strained and it has been for years because of something that happened way back when. Maybe you did something wrong, but Christ has changed your life and you're like, they'll never listen to me. But God is calling you to step into their reality and go to them in love and urge them to believe on Christ and be saved no matter what Satan is whispering you about the past and their inability to listen or their unwillingness to learn. Because when Jesus steps into the room, when he goes through the locked doors of people's hearts, he applies the resurrection that he has to the heart and he changes them and he gives them peace with God and joy and purpose in his mission like never before. Don't keep your lips closed anymore. People need to know that our king is risen from the grave. No matter what it costs us, he is worth it. If you don't know this king, our worship team is going to come at this time, and I'm going to pray. If you're here today brought by a friend, and, and you've got a meal that's waiting on you, whatever it is that is just past this stop on Easter Sunday that I, I know is, if I didn't just put it in your mind, that it was already there. Look, there's nothing more important in eternity than knowing that you belong to Christ. I would urge you with every ounce of my being, if you know that you're a sinner and if you were to die today, that you would die with your sins on you because you've not yet believed on Christ. Believe on Christ. Let the sins be on Him. And then buried forevermore so that you can have communion with God. If you don't know him, I pray you'd trust him today. But then to believers, if you're in this room and you don't have a church home, you're looking for a church that you can be on mission with, where you can have teammates in this purpose that God has given to us, we'd invite you to join forces with North Roanoke. Say, I want to be a part of North Roanoke today. And finally, maybe you're a believer that says, I, I've just been quiet too long. There's people in my life, in my family, in my neighborhood, in my workplace... They need Jesus. And you know what? I might be the only Christian they know, so it's about time I open my mouth. Any of those things that God is dealing with you, I, I pray whether it's in your seat that you would pray to God or maybe even come to this, this front and, and just commune with God as we close our service. However God is leading you, I pray that you would have the freedom to respond. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, we need you. We need you more desperately than we can even see. But we thank you, God, for the Holy Spirit who gives us eyes to recognize our sinfulness and the glory of our Savior. Lord, I pray that Jesus will be exalted through this family until he comes and that you would continue to draw men and women to saving faith in Christ. I pray it for the glory of our King and in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.